0: Thank you for an opportunity to come back. It's always a pleasure to come back to North Hills and worship with you once again. I have a lot of good memories here coming back, going back as far as probably about 40 years or more youth events here, different worship services. So it's always a pleasure. I'd like to start this morning by reading for you from Psalm 84. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And even the sparrow has found a home in the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Now, I don't see many birds flying around in here. But uh, the worship, the, the temple for the people at that time, and actually at the time, yeah, I believe at the time that this was written, uh, this was written by a group of worship leaders that served in the tabernacle and later in the temple that Solomon had built. And it was a a glorious building, and it was more open to the air, and they actually would have birds building their nests up in the eaves of the building. And have other critters crawling through. I don't know how many of you have had much experience down south. I remember seeing the little blue-tailed lizards running across the inside walls of buildings sometimes. And uh, this was the kind of setting that these worship leaders are, are remembering and looking to and craving in their worship of God, saying, even the creatures of the earth find their home in your presence and build their nests near your altar. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever and always praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, or literally the valley of tears, the valley of sorrow. They make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains also cover it with pools or blessings. They go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God, and look with favor upon your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper, the lowest of the low, in the house of my God, than dwell with wealth in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord my God is a sun and a shield and the Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Whether we like it or not, whether it comes easily or with much difficulty, whether we agree that it should be that way or not, relationships take a high priority in our lives. Relationships don't come easily for me. I'm very much an introvert by nature, and I find building relationships difficult, even with people that I'm with all the time. On the job, and I've learned this one the hard way, on the job, no matter how good you are at what you do, if the working relationship that you have with those around you, and more importantly, with your supervisor and your superiors, replacement may well be coming, whether voluntarily and you choose to leave and go elsewhere for looking for something more comfortable or if that change is imposed on you. Not many people would approve of a doctor who has a very poor bedside manner. In fact, it's been documented through studies that malpractice suits uh, tend to be much more common with doctors who have a difficult time building relationships with their patients, building healthy relationships with the people that they work with. Without a healthy relationship in marriage, without a measure of communication and the effort to learn the heart cravings of your partner, vows alone are unlikely to hold your relationship together. And in parenting, you can, disappear, you can discipline precisely. You can give generously to your children. You can govern carefully and try your best to guide them in the right way. But if we fail to build a good relationship with our children to get to know their heart cravings, to know what drives them, we will fail. And it's the same in our spiritual lives. In the Bible, those who were spiritually successful, those who were spiritually healthy, were those who walked in a close relationship with the living God. Those who sought to know God's heart. Those who sought to know and understand the mind of God. And that sounds like an impossible task. (coughs) But those who were successful, those who walked and were remembered for walking in godly lives were the ones who sought to know and to understand the heart of God and what He was seeking in their lives and what he was seeking in the world. Abraham was known as a friend of God. Before he had the benefit of the law, before he had the benefit of the temple, before he had the benefit of the Bible that we know. Even the first few books were written by Moses who came much, much later. Before he had priests and a creed, a theological creed to guide him, Abraham lived and journeyed with God. And he was known as a friend of God, one who pleased God. Now Abraham was far from a perfect man. You can read of many, many instances when he failed God, when he failed to go the direction God wanted him to go. But out of his walk with God and his desire to know God and to please God, this pilgrimage, if you will, with God, came the covenant of the promise of a son, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of a land that we would live in in forever with our God as a loving father, living in the presence of our God. It was from Abraham's journey through life with God that we received the promise that's fulfilled in Christ himself. And once God had Abraham's life, he could instruct him in the way that he should go. And the bottom line of our faith, biblical faith, is to have a relationship with the living God on the pathway of life. If you look in Romans chapter 4, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go to those verses. it tells us what the Abrahamic faith is, the faith of Abraham, that God considered righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verses are in the teens. The Abrahamic faith, the name that we have taken for our denomination, Church of God of the Abrahamic faith. What was that faith? It says, Abraham believed what God told him and trusted God To fulfill his promises, even though it took God over 25 years to keep that promise. It says that God, or Abraham, believed his God, and God counted that as righteousness. The psalmist called this kind of a lifestyle Psalm 84. Being on pilgrimage with God. Passing through a life of trouble, through the valley of tears, a valley of sorrows quite often. And finding blessings there, and becoming a blessing to those whom we encounter as we walk through that valley with our God. Micah chapter 6, the first eight verses, has become probably the defining passage in my faith. It's the place where I've found the simplest and most concise description of what God is looking for us, from us, in our lives. God recounts, in the first few verses, God recounts his journey with the people of Israel, that he desired to journey together with them. He says, stand and plead. He's, he's frustrated with the people of Israel because they're going through motions. They're doing a lot of religious things in their lives and expecting God's blessing. And they get frustrated and can't understand why they don't have God's blessing in their lives. And God says, stand up, plead, and let me plead my case before the mountains and let the hills hear what they, what you have to say. Hear, mountains, the Lord's accusation and listen. For the Lord has a case against His people and he is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? I brought you out of Egypt. I walked with you. I redeemed you from a land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. And my people, remember that Balak, the king of Moab, plotted. And, uh, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. And remember how they tried to trip you up and destroy your lives and drive a wedge between you and me. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, holy places, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. It says, remember the walk, the journey that we've had together. The people's response were, what, God, what is it that you want from us? It says, what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What do I bring to you? Shall I come to you with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Do I bring animals without number and slaughter them in your presence. What do you want from me, God? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Do I even need to offer my firstborn child to slaughter my child before you? This was a common practice among the pagan peoples at that time, to sacrifice their own children to try to please the gods. Say, God, is that what you want from me? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And God comes back with a very simple answer. The prophet says here, He's shown you, O mortal man. He's shown you people what is good and what he requires from you. He only gives three things. Out of all of the law, out of all of the prophets, he gives three little points. He says, Do justly, do what's right, do what's right by each other, don't misuse each other, love mercy, be kind and forgiving. Don't hold grudges. And walk humbly with your God. God doesn't want religion. God doesn't want ceremony. There's place after place after place in the scriptures, particularly within the Psalms, where that theme keeps coming back time and time again. He says, I don't want all of the sacrifices unless I have your heart. The people were looking for a program, a set of rules that they could check off, a checklist that they could say, I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this. Okay, God, you owe me. God didn't want that. God wanted a people that craved his heart. They were looking for a destination, a promised land, a glorious place that they could go and have a wonderful life free of pain, free of want, free of lacking food and hunger and suffering. They wanted the destination. God wanted them to walk with him day by day. God wanted the journey throughout life with them. They were looking for a finish line. God was interested in the race itself. It's like sports. Life is not only about the end. Why is it? How many sports fans do I have here? How many of you enjoy enough to where you actually record the games if you can't watch it what happens if somebody tells you the end of the score the end of the game and a score before you get the chance to watch the game it's not about the end it's not about the final score is it you want to watch the game you want to see the struggle you want to see what they did to win or lose you want to live the frustration and the glory That's what God wants. It's not about the end. If that's all it was, baseball would only have one inning. Golf would only have one hole. Our faith is about the process. It's about the pilgrimage. It's about the walk with God on the path of life. There was a man I worked with a number of years ago. His name was Rocky. I was working, trying to find... They got what they deserved in the job. And he took care of me. He took me under his wing. He saw this young kid that uh, needed a lot of help. He said, just keep rubbing on that die, Mike. Just keep rubbing on that die. Keep polishing it. And I said, Rocky, you know what's right, and you strive for what's right and make sure everybody gets what is right. And you take care of everybody else. You're a man of mercy. But, Rocky, I don't see you walking with God. Understanding this can change our whole worldview, and most importantly, our view of our faith, our view of our religion. The Bible no longer is just a textbook with facts that we have to memorize and stories we need to learn and lessons we need to learn. The Bible becomes a road map, a travelogue. It's an accurate, true, and accurate measure of people that went, have gone before us and how they saw it. To learn God's heart. How they sought to understand God. How they sought to know God. How they failed and sometimes failed miserably. But it's a description of their journey with God. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. These stories... Good and bad, successes, and miserable, miserable failures are all written down in there, and there's some, definitely some R-rated stories in there, but written to help us understand how people sought to know God and how God blessed that effort. And there are some people that are, that God used, that you got to just shake your head and scratch your head and. You know, we've been going through the judges in our Sunday school class and talk about people like Samson. I mean, he was, I mean, he's just something else. He was a piece of work. But God used him. God used him. The Hebrew word for the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's the original Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the law. This is the most sacred of sacred to the Jewish people. The name there, Torah, comes from a root word, Yerah, which means to direct, to, di- to guide. This was not just a law of legislation. This was not just a set of do's and don'ts. The law that, it was a law that gives direction, keeping me on the journey in relationship with my God. Paul recognized this. He said the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. I've got to stop putting my hand in my pocket. I know that's what I'm doing to mess that up. Uh, and it's only through Christ that we come to have a true picture of God our Father. Helps us understand passages in John where he says, when one of the disciples asked Jesus, he says, show us the Father so that we can understand. And Jesus said, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We are of one mind. One purpose. If God was to walk this earth in human flesh, this is what he looks like. Sin is understood in more perfect terms. The word trespass, it sounds kind of an archaic word for sins, for doing things wrong. We hear it mostly in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. One version, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's The idea is to go astray, to wander from the path that we're to stay on, this narrow road. The most devastating result of sin in our lives... is to lose fellowship with the Father. Even good, godly people can sin and can break that relationship with our Father. Still considered a child of God. My children disobey, do things that they know are not going to make Mom and Dad happy. And the relationship gets awful tense and awful difficult at times. And there is about a decade there in my life where I felt like I failed miserably as a father. Because I failed to build a good, healthy relationship with my children. For a lot of different reasons. John chapter 1. First few verses, Christ came to give life, which was defined by fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It was a journey. Salvation is not so much an issue of getting my theology right, but rather an issue of my relationship. How is my relationship with my God? How well do I know my God, who He is, and what He's trying to accomplish in my life and in the rest of the world? And the people that are around me. Prayer and Bible reading, with this understanding, cease to become tasks to be accomplished. They're not homework that we have to do to be able to get a good grade. They're not just assignments to be completed. Prayer and Bible reading are a conversation with my God that enables me to know Him and to know His heart. This is how God speaks to me. Prayer is me putting myself in a place where God has the opportunity to speak to me. I noticed your mention of your small groups in your bulletin this morning excellent that is the place where God speaks to us speaks to us through prayer through the reading of the scriptures speaks to us through each other very often most often in my life God's voice Sounds an awful lot like you guys. <laughs> Moses realized this. In Exodus chapter 33, after the, the debacle, when Moses was, had been gone for about 40 days receiving the law, and came back down and found the people had built themselves an idol and were having themselves a big, good party worshiping a false god and saying, this is our God Yahweh that brought us out of Egypt. And God said to Moses, after all was said and done, after that whole big mess in that story, he said, okay Moses, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep my promises to my people. I'm going to send an angel before you. You're going to take this people on into the promised land and they'll get the blessed life that I promised them but I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to squash them like bugs because of their attitude. And Moses' answer was to beg God. said, God, this can't happen because without you, we're nothing. We need you in our midst. We need you with us. There is the heart of one who is a friend of God. God said, I spoke with Moses face to face, like one friend with another. Even through the hard times, Knowing that relationships at times are difficult. I remember, Brendan, I'll try not to state too much, but I remember one time when I felt like I actually did a little bit better at being a dad with him. He was having a hard time with relationships at that time and was afraid that things were going to break up and disintegrate. I said, Brendan, just because a relationship's hard doesn't mean it has to end. It's all about going through the valley of tears and sorrows and finding the pools and the blessings along the way and finally at the end. entering the glory of a beautiful relationship. That's the journey of our faith. Not always easy. There's times when it feels like it just can't continue. There's times when we just wonder, what are you thinking? What was I thinking? That's the pilgrimage. Of a marriage, of a family, of a church, where you're going to run into a lot of people that just make you shake your head and wonder but we keep walking together Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me He was able to be accepting of others where they were because he knew where they were going and where he was taking them. Jesus was so forgiving because he intended to bring people along to where he knew they could go if they followed him and stayed close. And Jesus was so faithful because he wanted to set the pace for the journey for the rest of us. Will you walk together with God, with Christ, and with each other on this journey, this pilgrimage? Until at last, at last, we enter the presence of our God and our Father. If you've not yet made the commitment to join in that journey I urge you to today because that's the only way to survive the trip Is to be on journey with God and with these people around you if you'd like to make that commitment today I would encourage you to come forward and say I give my life to you Lord I want to be on this journey with you, all the way to the end. Father God, I thank you for being faithful with us, for walking with us, for your mercy and your grace, and your forgiveness, and for Jesus Christ, that we might know you as a loving Father. Father not a condemning God. Work in the hearts of this congregation, the hearts of these people. May your spirit move here in a mighty way to touch these lives and to touch this community. In Jesus' name I pray.